I mean, I understand what this football is, but you feel me? I want to make sure a dog's straight in his mind. I ain't gonna lie, I really thought that dog was gonna retire a Seahawk. He couldn't, John. He couldn't. 702 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Hope your morning is going well. If you're at home in your breakfast nook, enjoy that. If you're on the road driving, be safe. Halfman Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of this program, which is going to feature Brady Henderson and Chris Faber. Brady is going to join us in just a minute here. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. The Seattle Seahawks are back in action this weekend. They are hosting the Arizona Cardinals. We think the game is going to be at a certain time, but hold on, it might not be just yet. And the Cardinals on the road are favored by two and a half points. That's the skinny on the game. For more, let's go now to the phone lines. Uh, ESPN NFL Nation Seahawks insider Brady Henderson here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Brady? How are you, bud? Hey, fellas. Good morning. How you doing? Uh, we're good. Thanks. I feel like there's a bit of Groundhog Day going on here because for the third consecutive week, we are going to open with the Seahawks' inability to stop the run and the Seahawks' inability to make tackles on defense. Clint Hurt, this is the third week in the row now where he said, this isn't getting better, this is only getting worse. I feel like it was about 11 or 12 on the stat sheet, if I'm not mistaken, missed tackles against New Orleans and just had Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill run all over them. Uh, are you getting a little bit of Groundhog Day feeling here that time and time again you're going in to talk throughout the week about the Seahawks missing tackles on defense? Well, yeah, I think more so Groundhog Day in the sense that this is exactly like the, the starts of the each of the past two seasons, 2020 and 2021. And really, you know, I, I went and looked at a lot of the numbers and compared – you know, their defense through five games this season compared to those last two. And in many ways, this five-game start is worse than the last two in terms of uh, points per game, yards per play, yards per rush, yards per pass. I think one of, one of the things – well, two of the things they're doing better is taking the ball away, uh, and they're not giving up as many yards per game. But in a lot of other ways, this is really their worst start of the three. And so it feels like Groundhog Day in that sense. And I just don't see – any obvious signs that it's about to turn. And, and Pete Carroll had, I thought, an interesting answer on that when we asked him that question. What, what do you see that indicates it's about to, um, you guys are about to turn it around? And he sort of paused uh, for a couple seconds. And then he had a weird answer where he said, they're not going to face any Wildcat quarterbacks uh, like Taysom Hill, which that would make sense if Taysom Hill was the only quarterback they had struggled against. But they, of course, have struggled against, you know, traditional non-Wildcat quarterbacks. Yep. And so, Carroll has a way of being very convincing, and that was not a convincing answer at all. And uh, like I said, I, I just don't – there's no obvious signs to me that they are going to right the ship. And the only, the only reason I think they're going to is because they've done it in each of the past two seasons. But uh, beyond that, I don't, I don't really know how it's going to happen or why it's going to happen. Well, that, yeah, it's a great point to bring up because, you know, this is Clint Hurt's first year as a defensive coordinator taking over from Ken Norton Jr., and I think some people are saying, hey, look, this is on you to make sure that these guys get it right. I would say if I was the defensive coordinator, I'd be, one, we don't get enough time to practice this kind of stuff with the new rules that we don't have time, quite frankly, to work on form tackling and bringing a guy down. And two, that you could also point to maybe they just don't have the talent on defense, especially with Jamal Adams out, 
to make these plays. Like, it's not that the guys aren't trying. It might be that the guys just aren't good enough. Well, yeah, to your point, the Adams loss is a big one. And I realize that, you know, from afar, he's a polarizing player. People maybe think he's overrated. But there's two things that he is really good at, which is rushing the passer and uh, helping out as a run defender and being kind of a sideline-to-sideline presence there. And uh, they're missing those two things in a big way right now. You know, I think some of their struggles could be attributed to that. Some of them could be attributed to what you said there, which is that you just don't know if you have got the guys. You don't know, um, you know, what Cody Barton was going to be going into this season. But, you know, he's not the only one who's struggling. And, and really, I think the most galling, one of the more galling parts uh, about this whole thing is that guys who they've really counted on uh, are struggling. And Quandre Diggs has not had a good start to the season. He, yeah. he missed the tackle on that Taysom Hill 60-yard touchdown run that ended up being really the game winner for New Orleans. Uh, Jordan Brooks was another guy who you thought was going to take uh, a really big step forward this year, and maybe he still will. It's, it's only five games into it, but he struggled too. And, and um, I think his issues have been more so in coverage. Um, so it's really – nobody is really immune to it. You know, you, you would have expected some of the rookie struggles uh, that their rookie corners and their young corners have had. You know, you, you can't expect Tariq Wollin to be perfect. Mike Jackson, Kobe Bryant, same thing. And, you know, to, to, to some degree, uh, Cody Barton as well. You, you just didn't know what you had in him. But it's the guys they really counted on who are also struggling. Yeah, I keep harping on this because going into the season, we are all trying to figure out exactly what this team was going to look like and how their games were going to play. And I think a lot of people kind of came to the conclusion that they've still got some players on defense. So every game will probably be, you know, 14-10, 17-14, 2017. They'll play it tight to the vest and they'll win some and they'll lose some. The Seahawks have 103 points scored in their last three games, and they're one and two. And in that stretch, Geno Smith was named Offensive Player of the Week. So it really hasn't gone the way that I thought at all. The offense is way overachieved, and to be quite honest, whether you want the wins or not and you're jockeying for playoff positions, some fans want that. The fact remains, you score 103 points over three games, you shouldn't be one and two, but lo and behold, that's where they are. Yeah, I, I would not have thought that either. I, I would not have thought the defense would struggle this bad, nor I certainly wouldn't have expected the offense to uh, put up these kinds of numbers. And you just can't say enough about how well Geno Smith has played. You know, save for maybe the, the San Francisco game where their entire team uh, and their entire offense put up a clunker. But, you know, he is the, – the numbers show, and, and not just, you know, completion percentage, because that can sometimes be a little misleading, but some of the advanced, uh, you know, completion percentage numbers show that he is – been the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. There's, um, you know, a next-gen stat called off-target throws, and he's got the lowest off-target percentage. Uh, he's got, I believe, the highest percentage uh, completion percentage above expectation, which takes into account, you know, the, the air distance of throws and how deep they are and where the defender is and all that. So he has been excellent, and, you know, it's not like he is just digging and dunking and, and taking a bunch of easy completions like – you're really starting to see them push the ball down the field more and have more success with that, which was you know, the one thing that was missing from their offense in, in the first couple of games. Those throws that he made to Tyler Lockett were beautiful. And, and the one he made on the move uh, to the, you know, running to his left and hitting Noah Fant uh, while kind of, you know, having to twist his body. And like, that is a, that is a really difficult throw. I, I'm guessing I've never tried it, but uh, I'm, I'm guessing that every quarterback will tell you that that's one of the hardest throws that they have to make. And he is, he's doing it, man. And, and this is like, 
you know, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen type stuff that he's doing. And it's, uh, you just can't say enough about the way that Gino has played so far. If you haven't tried it, maybe it's easy. Go give it a shot. <laughs> I mean, it might be easy. I, you know, I, you know I, that, I've right? got lower back problems, and oh, I think okay. that is a sure way for me to uh, end up in bed for the next couple days. So I, I, I feel like a bit of a jerk asking this question, but do you think Rashad Penny has played his last game for the Seahawks? I'm not convinced that he hasn't, no. And, you know, they have shown – I mean, look, they, they gave him a second chance after all the injuries that he had. Um, and it didn't cost them a ton of money. I think if they could get him back on another, you know, low-cost, reasonable deal, you know, cheaper than what they paid him this past year, which was, uh, you know, like $5.7 million, I don't think he's going to cost that much, I wouldn't imagine. Um, and if you could get him for, you know, 3 $4 million, I think it's a worthwhile gamble. You, you certainly – it's a risk because of the injury history, and, you, and it could end up exactly the way it did this year, but – You've seen the upside, and I think the upside is worth uh, that sort of that kind of payoff, you know, or, or that what you would have to pay him, assuming it is a little bit cheaper than what they paid him this year. And so, um, you know, that said, he's got to come back from the injury, and and I, I don't know if this is exactly like the injury that Thomas Rawls had a few years ago, but you saw Thomas Rawls struggle to really come back from that. And so, just running back injuries in general, when you're talking about a broken bone. Um, you just kind of have to wait and see, but I'm I'm not totally convinced that he's played his last down in Seattle. Either way, you just have to feel really bad for the oh, guy, awful. especially when you hear how much you know he's talked about this. He's been really open with us and, and vulnerable uh, in these press conference settings, talking about how much these injuries have weighed on him, um, not just because of suffering the injury itself and having to do the rehab, but having to hear you know all the the mean spirited comments that people make about him, and so. Um, he's he's got to do that all over again now. He looks so good too. Like I, I thought in his first yeah. few seasons, I, I was kind of like, you know, even if he's healthy, I I don't know if he's got. It. He doesn't seem to have the same burst that I thought that a young running back would have. And then over these last little while, last two seasons, when when we saw what he can do, he, he's really impressed me. And then to go down with an injury like that, it's just. I mean, Pete Carroll said it. I said it. It's like it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. And you, you saw the tears, I think, when he was being carted off there. Um, and look, I mean, he, you, he has it, man. Like, you could tell, um, even looking at some of the, you know, Next Gen does a great job of tracking the player speed. I think he had two of the top 20 uh, fastest times as a ball carrier through the first five games. Yeah, uh, And I think one was on the um, – I can't remember which, which it was. But at any rate, he, he's been – you know, you could tell – like that's that's a big guy that's moving very fast, and so I think maybe that's encouraging that he still has all that speed after all the injuries. Again, you you still got to see how he comes back from this latest one, but um, you know I I would if I were the Seahawks I would I would totally look into giving him another shot. You know that you need more than one guy, even if you know that Ken Walker the third is the future. Like you you know that you need more than one guy, and so uh, you know if the price is right, I, I'd say why not Penny. So for people who still have Seahawks playoff hopes, obviously this game Sunday against the Cardinals is massive for them. The Cardinals are two and three. The Seahawks are two and three. The Cardinals are two and a half point favorites in this game. Um, I, what is? I mean, we talked about the the run defense, and so you're obviously going to look for uh, the Seahawks to be better at that. Uh, um, what else do they have to do well in order to beat this Cardinals side? Well, they can't let Kyler Murray beat them with his legs, and that is easier said than done, as you know. And, you know, the Cardinals are 
their backfield is kind of shorthanded right now. Mm-hmm. We know that they're missing DeAndre Hopkins because of his suspension, but the backfield has also uh, taken a few hits. And so I would imagine that they are going to lean more on Kyler Murray's rushing legs. And you might think that that would be a break for the Seahawks uh, to, to face a shorthanded backfield. But, you know, remember what happened last week. Taysom Hill ran yeah. all over them, you know, 112 yards, three rushing touchdowns uh, on only nine carries. And so um, they're going to have to be really disciplined in their in their rush lanes. And I wonder if that's going to kind of slow down the pass rush a little bit, which has already had enough of its trouble getting to the quarterback. And so um, I don't think this is going to be an easy game for them defensively by any means. And I, that's kind of stupid to say because no game looks easy for them defensively. Yeah, I you know you brought up a really good point there with the how confused and ill prepared they looked for Taysom Hill last week. I feel like maybe that could be a precursor to doing a better job this week, but I don't think there's any question Taysom Hill's a fine runner. Kyler Murray is an entirely different runner, so I I'm a little leery about this one, but I'll still be tuning in. Brady, thanks a lot for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the game on Sunday. Oh, by the way, what's going to happen if the Mariners win on Saturday? What what, go, what goes on with the uh, kickoff time for the Seahawks game if the Mariners win on Saturday then uh, kickoff of Seahawks Cardinals gets pushed back to 2 30 p.m. okay uh, if there is no game four then it stays at 105 p.m. perfect Brady thanks for doing this bad we appreciate it we'll talk next week okay fellas thank you see ya yeah see you later that's Brady Henderson from ESPN's NFL Nation our Seahawks insider here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650 let's do a little Canucks talk now via the Dunbar Lumber text line it's ask us anything Friday you can literally ask us anything and some of your questions are just really well they're anything okay but doesn't necessarily mean we're going to read them on the air we can read this one though ask us anything who was the most underwhelming Canuck in their Canucks debut Wednesday against you others I don't think any of the new faces were particularly underwhelming but maybe you would have wanted to see more from Dakota Joshua right uh, yeah f- okay didn't sure. play much sure no, really no, didn't fine. play much McCabe yeah. was invisible yeah, he yeah. was disappointing, um, to put it mildly. It's like he wasn't even there. Andy's sarcastic remark um, does lead us to today's big question at practice. You know, is Mikheyev going to practice, and is he going to be on, on a regular line wearing a regular jersey, not a non-contact jersey? Uh, the Canucks, man, like I was thinking back to that Oilers game, how much could they have used him? Against the Edmonton Oilers. Well, he would have been the matchup with Pedersen. But I mean, would he have been? I hope. W- w- against McDavid. Just, I don't. Well, just in general. No, I see. Here's the thing Pedersen does not seem to be Bruce Boudreaux's preferred matchup center. Well, that's clear. The matchup center against, and, and it, granted, this is on the road, so Bruce Boudreaux only has a certain amount of control over this situation. The guy who played the most against McDavid was the JT Miller line. And I think a lot of people's issue with the JT Miller line is like, you got no great skaters on that line. You got Brock Besser and Tanner Pearson. Three good hockey players. But, and, 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 and the Canucks will say, well, we want to spend a lot of time in, in the offensive zone, you know, big heavy line, we'll cycle the puck or, or whatever. I'm like, okay, yeah, but sometimes <laughs> that plan will go awry. Especially and against Connor McDavid. What happened on, I believe it was the game winner was that that line was stuck deep in the Oilers' end. JT Miller was right in front of the Oilers' goal. The puck transitioned out of the end, out of their end, and, and they couldn't get back. And I'm not saying that McKayev could have. I mean, it's it's well, tough against McKayev, right? He could skate, to though, catch the him. other guys. Yeah, that's, just, that's his thing. He can skate. It's why I've kind of wondered why. And Pedersen's smart. 
Yeah, like I think they could be effective as a matchup for. I do too. You know? But I think at the very least, I'd like to see it. But you have to deal with reality right now, and the reality is like right now that yeah, <laughs> Boudreaux doesn't really see Pedersen as a shutdown center, and yet Mikheyev will probably play with Pedersen and Kuzmenko because that's been the plan out of the gates. Like I don't think Boudreaux. I mean, forget Pedersen. Do you think Boudreaux's going to use Kuzmenko? Yeah, that seems less like in a matchup role. Mm-hmm. I, I would like, I would personally like to see Mikheyev throw. If you're gonna, whether it's whether it's Miller's line or or Horvat's line, that is your main matchup line. Um, put Mikheyev on that line. Take Tanner Pearson off it if you want to go Mikheyev, Miller, and Besser. All these things are going to be debated now. Yeah. Um, the one thing that the Flyers don't have are players like Connor McDavid. And Leon Dreisaitl. So less of an issue probably Saturday in Philly. But going forward, when the Canucks play the Oilers again, when they play Nathan McKinnon, I'm very curious to see what McKayev's role is going to be. Because not only is he fast, so he's got that ability to back check, he's also a smart two-way player. That's one of the reasons why the Canucks signed him. Speed, two-way ability, PK ability. So what role is he going to play at five on five? Um, I, you know what? It was funny. I was trying to find some angle to praise how the blue line played against Edmonton in Edmonton because you look at the scoreboard and you're like, well, five goals against. Like it's not a banner night. I thought it was line. actually better than I so, it was be- went yeah. better than I expected. So uh, Cam Sharon, who used to work for the Leafs and now he's doing work with the Athletic, and I believe he's on the PDO cast right here on Sportsnet 650 with Dmitry Filipovich. He's doing. His own statistical breakdowns, it's actually on his own website, campsharon.com. He's going to do it for a while for every game, and then I think it's going to go behind a paywall. Anyway, it's great because it's really dense statistical analysis, but then he explains it to like people like me right. to try and understand it. And it was, it was really interesting looking at how the Canucks defended Edmonton's zone entries. Mm-hmm. And he pointed to a lot of statistics that were like, actually, outside of Hughes, who was out there against McDavid and Dreisaitl a lot, so that's tough to stop them. Yeah. The rest of the blue line actually did a really good job of limiting them. Yeah, Tucker Pullman's numbers weren't Tucker Pullman Tucker Pullman's were bad, but yeah. Stillman, Burroughs, Shen, they actually had pretty good nights against mm-hmm. the team where you would say... Mike, they didn't play much. These guys are going to get skated into the ground. Like, yeah, I, they didn't play much, I, though. I, th- like, I, think I, I think I prefaced this by saying I was yeah. looking for something. Right. So I'm not saying it was like a banner evening or anything, mm-hmm. but... Um, given how patchwork that blue line was, I think it was like a decent night. So, no, I, I, yeah. I, I agree with you on, yeah. on that. Actually, I thought, especially in the first period, it was the Oilers blue line that I was wondering about. Yeah. The Canucks four check was really effective. And that was part of the reason why they built that three, nothing lead. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they couldn't hold it. Uh, do you have any, ask us anything, sir? I got one for you guys. Yes. Do you think there is a reality where Luongo doesn't get his jersey retired by the Canucks? He only goes into the Ring of Honor, regardless of the fact that he will soon be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yes. You do, um, do, you, do you think yes. it is more likely he's in the Ring of Honor than gets his jersey retired by the Canucks? Oh, man. We've I had this t- debate before. It's and tough, it, though. A lot of it comes down to your personal preference, too. Right? I mostly like, just I mostly just there's bring some this people, around the Hockey Hall yeah. of Fame thing, right? He's a Hall of Famer, so you wonder, like, as soon as Burry got in the Hall of Fame, it's like, okay, now it's time to retire that jersey. And it's they also did. confusing because number one's already up there. That's true. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> it's a little, it's it a already little, is a number one. It's a little convoluted. You're right, you're right. right. Uh, that makes it tougher. The greatest McLean. or one of the greatest goalies of the generation played for your club for eight seasons in the prime of his career. But McLean's only and in the Ring of Honor. That's what you I don't want to put oh, his okay. number up? I just don't get it. I don't. 
Under so you're saying the Longos jersey should get retired, not yes, just Ring of Honor. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, that's Played the argument. That's, team that's the argument. Seasons. I guess people said that about Burry as well, prime. right? Like obviously yeah. we knew the Burry the, the yeah. issues there before with with ownership and stuff. But as soon as he got into the Hall of Fame, they're like, okay, well now you gotta do I, it. I see what Laddie's saying. I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I think that that's like a very valid argument that should probably propel him. To ha- but I mean, man, I this know. is why Luongo is the most fascinating right? athlete to ever come through Vancouver and still. But what other position debate. would this happen? Okay, calm down just for five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> right? Just team. calm down. I, I and there's even a up. discussion about retiring. His Goalie number. conniption over there. <laughs> like, All right, come on. I think it's a debate. It's it a is. Very a, valid it is a debate. debate. Lots of people there's don't agree. There's just too many Luongo haters that have want their feelings out there. It doesn't matter. He had a fantastic career. He lost in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final. Get over it. Yes, he sucked in Boston, Never but he had a great them. career. He had a Hall of Fame career, one of the best of the generation. Yeah, yeah. and but he's a Vancouver Canuck. But the man- you don't want to celebrate that? Well, he's not. He's a Florida Panther. But well, he, both. <laughs> he played for both teams. <laughs> he played for Florida more. I, I get what you're saying. If there's a Hall of Famer that spent that large a chunk of his career playing for your team, it's a very overwhelming case that he should be. Up in the rafters, number hanging. But there. a lot of people are like, "Now, nah, just ring of honor." Well, it's because, and part of it is because of the franchise's history. Like, yeah. I, you know, a lot of people come in and they're like, "Okay, Burray, that makes sense. Daniel and Henrik, that makes sense. Trevor Linden," and then everyone's like, "You got to explain it, yeah. right?" Because it's like he meant a hell of a lot to the city. And then they're like, "And Stan Smile, who's that?" And we're like, "It's Smeal again." You got to understand the city, and you got to understand the history of the franchise. Greatest GM of team history. Right, like it was his tenure, his reign of te- terror was amazing, right? But th- that's what you have to yeah. explain to people when they come and they don't know about the history of the the organization. Is that at the early stages, Stan Smeal was a huge deal. He meant a lot to this franchise, and that's why his number is justifiably up there. You know, sometimes I think with Luongo, it's um, I mean, it's just such a personal preference, and I see how. Uh, passionate laddie is and I see how passionate guys like Drantz are and that texter that texted in um, that says like if you're gonna blame anyone for the Stanley Cup final blame the Sedins who didn't show up and didn't produce like that's true they didn't I mean they had a tough assignment against uh, Zidane Chara, but they didn't produce and Luongo did have some great games in that Stanley Cup final I think for me and again this is so subjective so this is just my personal feeling when Luongo was out there in big games I did not trust him and that's that's just like you can't say like you should have. Well, I didn't. I agree. Right? Like I was nervous every big yeah. game that Luongo played, whether it was the gold medal game that he did win for Canada. I was still nervous, and it all started with the Chicago series. There's this psychological there was, aspect to it that was and, like, oh. And part of this, frankly, is on AV because AV left him in there to get ventilated in way too many games. Right. So had all these games that went badly, like in big games. And not just like, yeah, he was okay. Like he got absolutely lit up to the point that I think people almost forget this. In that 2011 Stanley Cup final, in a very big game, not Stanley Cup final, Stanley Cup playoffs, in the first round against Chicago, A.V. changed his goalie. Yep. He went to Corey Schneider. Then he got cramps. Right? Like there was something just like, and that's why – you get the people that look at his overall body of work, right? Which is incredible, right? It's the overall body of work. You're like, of course he's a Hall of Famer. Of course the Canucks should retire his number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the big games, and we've seen this with pitchers, for example, like David Price or, you know, 
until recently, Clayton Kershaw. You just wonder if these guys, there's something about them that maybe makes them more nervous about playing in these big games, or maybe it's purely me, you, projecting our nervousness onto these players when they're actually not nervous. But there, but this is why there is a personal relationship between the fandoms, and some people will see a player much differently than another player. I'm ready to make a – now that I've listened to Jason's impassioned plea, I'm knocking Luongo down to Ring of Honor. Sorry, Lou, your ROH <laughs> material now. That's it. Laddie is so disappointed. I'll tell you what. We got Chris Faber coming up next. We'll start with this. We'll ask him. Tell him at the break. Let him know. So it's he expected. Can I'm not that disappointed. It's expected. It's me. true. You don't. You you acknowledge our goalie hatred all the time. Table saw. Yeah. Table saw. James texts in. Are you trying to say there's a world in which you wouldn't be nervous for a Canucks Stanley Cup Finals game? I wouldn't be nervous necessarily about the starting goalie. I was never nervous about Kirk McLean in 1994. I just never was, and that's why you get some of the old school guys like me and Donnie. That are like, you know what? I just trusted Kirk McLean more in a big game. I've yet to be nervous about Demko. He's very cool back there. He's just very chill. And as BX has said, with uh, Tanev, he's got the cigarette in his mouth the whole yeah. time. Yeah. He just he doesn't ever seem to melt down. And Luongo, unfortunately, had those moments. Vegas, where he just Vegas did. in the bubble helped that reputation a lot for right? sure. But for we'll, sure. now it's a whole second chapter. It's like, what's he going to do now? Yeah. What have you done lately? Okay. So Chris Faber, uh, Canucks Army Canucks conversation is going to join us next. Uh, we can ask him this question. We can also get into the subjects of the day. The Canucks are going to practice in Philly uh, relatively soon. And the big story, of course, as Jason has mentioned, uh, will we see Ilya Mikheyev practice and then maybe make his Canucks debut in the regular season on Saturday in Philly? There's a lot more to get to. Don't go anywhere. Keep it on the dial. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Dreisaitl carries into the Vancouver end, forced wide to the boards by Quinn Hughes, who separates him from the pocket, plays it ahead to Brock Besser. Here's a chance for a three-on-one for the Canucks. Miller, left wing, shoots, he scores! JT Miller goes top shelf on Jack Campbell, and the Canucks lead 2-0, 240 into the first period on the road in Edmonton. And then what happens? Then they went up 3-0. That's what happened. <laughs> then what happened? Uh, you're listening. Who's to say, really? You're listening to the. You're listening to the Alfred and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Alfred and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I know we're. <laughs> I know we're not supposed to focus on too much behind the scenes stuff, but Bruff's fired up, right? Like that was a good impassioned plea. People are writing in. You're hearing more and more people say it. Uh, Bruff, Johnny Morgan on Twitter says, Bruff, that was the best summary of how I feel about Luongo ever I've ever heard. So you're fired up. You're, you're spilling your guts in here. And then we got a new studio set up and there's two different like microphone buttons. And this is the, this is the biggest old man. This is the biggest old man move ever in order to train himself to make sure he doesn't press the wrong button. He's taken the TV remote and he's put it on top of the buttons. Yeah. I'm going to get a post-it and just say, do not touch. Do not touch this button. Post-it, he just starts work. turning the TVs on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> off and on, off and on. <laughs> you have a 50% chance to get it right. So far, has not been going well. Uh, I mentioned that Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. This hour of the program, which is going to feature Chris Faber, uh, he'll join us in a second here. 
Uh, this hour is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. <clears throat> North Star! There it is. That's not bad. Uh, Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Phone lines. Uh, Canucks Army. Canucks Conversation. Chris Faber joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Fabes? How are you? Doing good, guys. As uh, as somebody who actually produced this show in the past, I love hearing this back, uh, this behind-the-scenes stuff going on right now with this new button. Yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff, isn't it, Fabes? Uh, <laughs> the, the Abbotsford Canucks kick off their season, is it tonight, Fabes? Yeah, you got it. They're down in uh, Ontario, California, so it should be uh, a fun kickoff to the season for them. Uh, I know that uh, I was even joking about it with Jeremy Carlton at the end of training camp that uh, uh, he's got to get uh, used to these California road trips. They start in Ontario tonight, uh, and then Bakersfield on Saturday uh, against a team that knocked them out of the playoffs last year. So uh, a couple division rivals going up against the Kings minor league team and the Oilers minor league team uh, tomorrow. So how does this Abbotsford roster look? How is it uh, different from last season? Um, who are the players to watch? Well, the exciting thing is, like, uh, I think from his play so far in the offseason, like, in the summer here at development camp, even at training camp a little bit, like, Danila Klimovich, I think, has made a case to be a player that we might see in the top six. And uh, if I was looking at him, you know, six months ago, I would have said, hey, if we see Danila Klimovich play top six minutes, it's a huge win, uh, even if that happens at the end of the season. So to get him have that opportunity, like, potentially right out of the gate, uh, to be a top six player in the AHL, I think that's the guy that you want to watch right from right from the get go. Like if he's playing with some of the more talented players instead of playing with you know a, a Vinny Arsenault on the fourth line or Carson Folk on the fourth line, uh, it will be interesting to see what Klimovich looks like if he is playing with some of this top end AHL talent. So uh, right off the top, like he he is the guy to watch for me right off the bat in game one on Friday tonight. You know, with all due respect to the guys on the roster, and I'm sure we'll be seeing some of them during the regular season. The most interesting guy for me in Abbotsford this year is Jeremy Colton. If only because he's still only 37 years old and he's on his fourth coaching job. All right, that's amazing. So he coached in Sweden. This is his second American League job because he coached in Rockford as well. And then, of course, the four years behind the bench for the Blackhawks. Have you had a chance to interact much with him yet? Yeah, I have. Actually, I was at um, the end of their training camp last weekend. And okay, this isn't like the best story, but like I, I like to have like real good eye contact when I'm interviewing someone, especially one on one. And Jeremy has given like the most eye contact back that I've ever dealt with with any player, like any coach, anything. Like we had eye contact for about like five and a half minutes straight, and I was like, you know, I was I felt like intimidated after this because I normally like <laughs> tried, you know, like stare at them, and they're always looking away, right? They're looking at the PR guy, looking away. Like this was direct eye contact. We're not gonna blink for like five and a half minutes but he's I mean he's a player he's a coach who talks about learning about development at different levels obviously he coached over uh in the Osvenskin league uh and he, and he worked with some players that were teenagers at the time um even because that's what I asked him I said like what's it going to be about development what makes development something that he thinks he's good at and he says he's done it in the past he's worked with guys that were young players he's gotten them to the next level and that's what it's got to be all about this year, right? It's got to be about, hey, can you get Linus Carlson a little bit of confidence so that he can make the NHL at some point this season? And then I think the big one that's going to be asked of him is what can he do with Klimovich, right? Like, 
you know, last year, Klimovich had to adjust to, to North America. He didn't know the language very well. I don't think there's those excuses to be used this year. Like he, he spoke to us, uh, you know, completely fine by himself without an interpreter uh, up in Penticton. It, it just seems like there shouldn't be so much coddling uh, of Klimovich this year. He should be a player that you want to see step up and not have the language be something that holds him back at all. So now I want to see it more be about development with him. So uh, I, I think Carlton's very interesting. Like, uh, you know, if things go really south of the Vancouver Canucks, yep. is, is he an option to be be the next guy at the NHL level to be the coach? I, I think that's probably a, a kind of a back, you know, behind-the-scenes reason of maybe he was brought in here. So he's he's a very interesting, you know, kind of body here in this organization, not just for being the HL coach, but maybe what the future holds for him with, with the NHL team. Like, I, I think that's something you have to think about with him. Yeah, I, the interesting thing is I think a lot of people at first blush would be like, well, if anything should happen with Boudreaux, Mike Yo's the guy that's in the assistance chair. He can jump up. But I keep looking at Colleton. Having spoken to enough people that covered his time in Chicago, they really don't lay the record and the lack of success at the feet of Colleton because clearly, clearly there was a lot more going on in that organization than the head coach being a problem. So I, you know, I do wonder if this is a really savvy move from Rutherford and Alvin to bring him into the fold to have him ready because he always felt like a guy when he got fired that inevitably he was going to get another chance at the NHL level and again at 37 with the kind of experience that he has and his connection with players you do kind of wonder might he be the guy in waiting for the Canucks yeah I mean you mentioned yo and I think that's that's definitely a serious option as well but I do you know, I look at Carlton at the same time and I say if they're looking sort of long term, it wouldn't surprise me to see him be the guy that gets the promotion even over Mike Yo at some point. Like it, it it could be him right off the bat if it does end up happening in the near future. And, you know, Boudreaux's getting up there. We we love dealing with him in the media, and I don't think anybody wants to see him go from what he's shown so far as a coach for the Vancouver Canucks. But if it does happen, you know, Carlton could potentially be a guy that you say like, hey, well, this is a very different look as a coach, right? This is someone who, because things might not have been working out with Boudreaux, maybe they work out with this younger guy. So I think it's a serious option um, for him to be an NHL coach down the road. And I think that's a big part of why he's probably with this organization and and chose to come here and, and be an NHL coach for the minor league team. You guys really are jackals replacing Bruce Boudreaux after one game of the season. You know, <laughs> zone one. God, Faber, you've turned into a real media jackal. Can you tell me about your dog formula? That's D A W G. So I saw you. You tweeted this out. Your top four dogs from game one were Luke Shen, Kyle Burrows, OEL, and Pedersen. Your bottom two were Horvat. And Besser, tell me about this. Yeah, well, this might be why I don't sound like too energetic. I, I somehow like I've been working on this rating for like a week or so, trying to figure out like an actual process behind it that like makes sense. And like I've been trying and trying, and nothing's worked. But something happened last night between like eleven o'clock and like three in the morning, where everything that I was putting in was like lining up with it being correct and how I would rate you know which player has most dog in them. 
and, and everything happened last night. Then, like, I think the the final, like, everything was coming up. Like, you know, this was great. And then I look at the whole NHL, and it's this rookie who fought Ryan Reeves, who had the best dog rating of the year last year for the whole NHL. And then Phil Kessel is at the bottom. Right. So I'm like, okay, I've figured out the formula here. You know, mm-hmm. Phil Kessel in Arizona, he didn't have much dog in him. But this rookie out of Montreal who, you know, is throwing hits more than anybody and blocking <laughs> shots more than anybody, he's coming in at the top dog rating. So... I've put this together now to see, you know, which player has the most dog in them. It's about if you're blocking shots, if you're getting involved physically, uh, if you're setting up scoring chances, if you're getting those secondary uh, assists to set up shots. Like, it's a combination of all these things uh, put into this formula. And last night at, like, 3.30, it it clicked and it worked, and I felt so good. Uh, But now I'm on, like, four hours of sleep, which is not great. So, So, wait, wait, wait. I want to know all all the stats that go into this. Uh, Could you you track, like, rebounds because I, I feel like uh if, if you're gonna go in and get your nose dirty in front of the net in front of the other team's net that that's something that that you it, mean like second chances scoring chances right yeah like yeah. rebounds yeah okay yeah 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 i've used you know rebounds created involved in there uh shot blocks obviously hits hits taken is one i wanted to throw in there as oh, well nice. because you yeah. know like i think that's one that should be mixed in there mm-hmm. uh, and then it's like a combination of actually getting shots that aren't um, blocked or missing the net. Cause I think a dogs does a good job of just going to the net and not having, you know, a, a guy be in his way to block his shot. So like it, it's this, I, I'm looking at it right now, this, this formula, which I don't want to put public yet, but there's too late. Dog. So nine, <laughs> there's, there's nine different stats uh, that I'm tracking, like a bunch of things that are multiplied in different ways. Uh, and then a, a bonus thing that is just like a weird number that I've built together to, to measure someone's dog uh, per 60. So I'm looking at this this thing, and I, I just, I, like last night, I, I was so excited because everything actually worked, and I was like, oh, wow, like, Bo, you know, Brock Besser, who I didn't think had a lot of dog in him uh, in the first game because yeah. he's playing with an injury on his mm-hmm. wrist. He wasn't, you know, he was at the the bottom of the Canucks. Horvat, <laughs> I didn't think, had much dog in him at all. He was second worst on the Canucks. Like, and then I'm looking, and who's at the top? Like, it's it's Luke Shen, he's yeah. got that dog in him. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at Kyle Burroughs, he's got that dog in him. Like the, I just couldn't believe the rating system actually worked yesterday. So um, I just like ran as many players as possible until about three in the morning, and and yeah, it worked out. Hey Faber, is it a problem that the Canucks captain does not have much dog in him? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I mean, you know, the numbers don't lie. The dog rating for Horvat is low. I look at last season, he's not in the top 10 on this on this Canucks team for having that dog in him. And if you're going to be the captain, I think in my eyes, you need you either need to have that dog in you or you need to be one of the best players on this team. And I don't know if Horvat is right now, you know, one of the top three, top four, top five players on this team. And if he doesn't have that dog in him, you know, I don't know if those top five players are going to be following what he says. So... Uh, I think this could be a little bit of a problem uh, going into it. I know it's only one game in, but there were certain things in the preseason I saw from Bo Horvat that I didn't like. I didn't like the fact that Tanner Pearson's skating across the ice to stick up for Elias Pettersson when Bo Horvat's on the ice. I didn't like when there's you know a hit to OEL that looks interference and Bo Horvat changes. I, I think certain things like this should be questioned about your captain. He he cannot be doing those things. That's you know to steal a word from him. It's unacceptable. It's a thing that he says so often. Uh, and if your captain isn't going to be you know, an absolute leader, I think, in all situations, if your captain's going to be allowing other teams to come back when you have a three nothing lead, I put a lot of blame of that on the captain. So I, I, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting throwing on top of that, the contract situation and potentially how much money Horvat's camp is asking for. 
yeah, it's going to be really interesting. That's like the player that I'm keeping my eye on here for the season. This is funny. This went from kind of like a uh, a fun little topic and a little project that Faber's <laughs> been doing to yeah. like, actually, you know what? There is a serious issue here. I would love to be in negotiations now. And Rutherford's like, well, he doesn't have much dog in him. Like, I think <laughs> we're looking at the dog per 60. It's quite low right now. Uh, no, <laughs> this, OK. All, by the way, I think we need to explain this for the, the olds that aren't up to date with internet memes. So it used to be that being a dog was a negative thing. He's dogging it out there. That guy's a dog. Uh, and then if you were lazy, you were screwing the dog. But now mm. uh, having the dog inside of you, there's got to be a better way to say that. Having the dog <laughs> inside of you is a good thing. Right. That means you have that dog in you, and, and that's a positive. And it will show up in x-rays yeah, that go on, on the internet. On the internet. So for yeah. those of you following along at home, this is a good thing, the dog rating. We're speaking to Chris Faber from Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Let's shelve the dog talk for a minute here, Fabes. We're going to throw you into the midst of uh, Jersey retirement and honorings and the debates that are going around. So there's two that we had today, right? Kevin Bieksa obviously signing a one-day contract to retire a Vancouver Canuck. We were, you know, kicking around what's this ultimately going to end up with. I think we landed on him going to the Ring of Honor. We'll shelve that one too, though, because there was a spirited debate about, once again, where Roberto Luongo and his number one should end up. Is it uh, in the rafters? alongside the Immortals? Is it in the Ring of Honor, alongside another number one, Kirk McLean? Where do you sit on this debate, Faber? Oh, man. Um, I'd have to pull up the dog rating to really give you the answer, but no. Go with your heart. <laughs> think... Go with that dog inside of you, my friend. I mean, with with Luongo, like, I, you know, I grew up watching, when I was especially, like, at the age of, like, 18, that was the 2011 Stanley Cup run. I mean, I, I obviously hold a real high respect for what Luongo was able to do from being able to, when I was a kid, watch this Canucks team go from the West Coast Express to what they did in 2011. I think a lot of that was due to the goaltending situation that was brought here by Roberto Luongo. I think he really changed the way that you looked at this team. I I also just, I, I think that the players that we're starting to see kind of be up in the rafters, especially with the Sedins going in, like that puts a little bit of a higher standard than what I think we've seen in the past. Um, before the Sedins go in, I think that they raise the bar a little bit with those two players being ones that you go in and, and with Luongo, like, you know, eight years is something that a lot of people won't bring up. And to me, when you're here for that long and you did what you did and you were able to get this team, you know, within that close to winning the Stanley cup for a team, for an organization that's never won it. I think you can say that he did enough. And some of those seasons that he that he had for the Vancouver Canucks were just incredible. It was some of the best goaltending seasons we've ever seen. Um, to me, I can see him being uh, a player that does get his number retired, even if he did spend more time in Florida and he's going to see his number go up there. I just I don't know if you're going to see a goalie make that much of just like a turnaround to an organization again to that next level. So I, I think I'd be all right with Luongo being a number that you see get retired. Uh, Fabes, I want to thank you for doing this today. I want to congratulate you on coming up with the dog rating. And I also want to encourage you to go get some sleep because that was a lot of work that you put in. And I can't believe you were doing that until three 30 in the morning, but God bless you. Thanks for doing this. Let's do this again real soon. Absolutely. I just, you know what, when, when Phil Kessel came in at the bottom, I was just like, this thing works. <laughs> like I couldn't believe it. So, uh, yeah, thanks guys. Have a good one. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> See you favor. Thanks buddy. Chris favor here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet. 650. Talking about memes, I imagine, you know, the uh, Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia meme where he's pointing at the board mm -hmm. and it's the scatter plot of all the things. That's what I imagine Faber 
at 3.30 in the morning trying to put it together. And then finally, it's like, Kessel, he's got no dog in him. It works. The formula works. I'm still kind of chuckling at how that went from like, this is a fun little project that uh, Faber's got to like some serious criticisms of the captain. It it was like, yeah, hey, listen, that's what, that's what I feel. People feel about Bo, Bo Horvat right yep. now. Is he doesn't he, have that dog in him. Yeah, is he, is he, um, you know, and, and the only people that we can really ask are his teammates and, you know, it'd be nice if we could hook up all athletes to a lie detector. But the question would be is, you know, is he an inspiring leader? Is he doing a good job mm-hmm. of leading? Is he a good um, go-between between the players and the head coach? All the important things that, Horvat's got to do from a media angle. He's fine. He's a good spokesperson for the Vancouver Canucks. He does that job. Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of the time I think he's just parroting what the coach has said. That's I don't the easiest think, way to do it. I don't think Horvat himself is a very outspoken person. Like you don't see him go against the grain very often. Uh, but all of this combined with his contract situation and the salary cap situation that the Canucks are in, it makes for a great debate. Well, I want to also throw this out there with regards to the captaincy. Yes, it's early days and one game in, but if Pedersen continues to orchestrate himself and orchestrate a game the way they did, like he was, he was a dominant force in the first period against Edmonton, and he looked like a guy that was going to take the game by the scruff of the neck and really – be just a force. Yeah. Like there's certain guys where it's like, okay, if he wants to go out and do this and there's the enough determination with his skill level, he's going to go out and do it. I think there's sometimes an issue on teams where like, if you were to ask the question right now, let's say the Canucks didn't have a captain. Mm -hmm. They were one of these many captainless NHL teams, but they wanted to name one. Yeah. Like right today, like right October fourteenth, twenty twenty two. Right today, current roster, name a captain. Where would Horvat rank in in wh- who who should be the captain? Fourth. Yeah, I think they might give it to Miller and Pedersen first. I'd give it to Pedersen. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do. I, I wouldn't do Miller. It's got to be a better way to say yeah. that. I wouldn't give it to Miller. I'd pick Pedersen. I, I do. I Pedersen yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I could you know see what, Miller. Why you know I would pick Miller? You know what you're doing. You're I almost, would pick Miller right now. If we if we could have changes to the captaincy like every year, Miller would be my captain right now. I think a lot of people would say that Pedersen or even Hughes would be my captain of the future. I'd put it on. I put the C on Pedersen right now, almost as like a. A motivator, but also additional pressure. I know you don't want to heat pressure on someone. Yeah, it's like it's on if, you, kid. Honestly, Let's I don't. Demko, see what I don't know if I don't know if PD's ready for it yeah. quite yet. Right? Like, why would you this open that? Year. Why would you open that avenue to more pressure, to more potential criticism when last, like it was only last season that he was still having quite a bit of trouble dealing with that. Like, mm-hmm. let's have this season where you're kind of like, just go play hockey, man. You just your responsibility is to play hockey. Um, you know, you're still a young guy. There are veterans on this team that can handle the media duties or any of the other duties that that that, that a captain has to deal with. But I do think hey, you know pre- what pressure makes diamonds. Remember that pressure makes diamonds. Oh yeah, did pre- what was PD at the beginning of last season then? He like a, he was a diamond in waiting. It's like one of those fake diamonds that costs like ten dollars. It's called the cubic zirconium. You get them at right. like the yeah. dentist's office. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, we're up. This against- broke my tooth. <laughs> we're up against it for time, but we still have a final hour to go on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Coming up on the other side, 
It's a Friday tradition. Bob the Moj Marjanovic is going to join us. Did ask him about the dog. Moj has that dog in him. For sure. For sure, right? Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk to Moj. Also jambalaya. Yeah, and a lot of food. We'll talk to Moj about uh, the Lions game on the weekend. We'll look at the Seahawks game as well. We can get in everything and anything that we want to with the Moj. That's coming up on the other side. And then we'll leave a bunch of time so we can do Ask Us Anythings and What We Learns. It is a Friday here. It's a time-honored tradition. Get your What We Learns and Ask Us Anythings into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650 650. Uh, WWL or AUA, get them in. It's your chance to be on the radio. We'll save lots of time in the final hour to do them. It's all coming up next. Hour three of the Halbro experience right here on Sportsnet 650. I've been working on this rating for like a week or so, trying to figure out, you know, which player has most dog in them. It's this rookie who fought Ryan Reeves, who had the best dog rating of the year last year. Mm. Phil Kessel in Arizona, he didn't have much dog in him. It's Luke Shen. He's got that dog in him. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at Kyle Burroughs. He's got that dog in him.